Hello, everybody, and welcome to What's the Story podcast. This is WTS 271. 271. My name is Danny Murray. And I am Graham Merrigan. Graham Merrill Merrigan, how are you this week, my friend? Ecstatic. Absolutely oh. ecstatic. Oh, what is the reason for this overbridling joy you have? The super hoops, Shamrock Rovers, the pride of mm. Ireland have mm. made it to the European group stages. Only either, after some either in, either in the conference, the Europa Conference League or the Europa League. Who knows? But we are guaranteed group stages football. Look, the super hoops. Not to go all Eddie Guerrero on it, but you just have to cheat to win, man. <laughs> you have to cheat to win. You just, you just have to send that poor Scoopy or whatever they're called. Scoopy. Scoopy. You have to send the scoops all the way over to knock for them to then have to get on, oh, a, yeah, rick- yeah, on yeah. a rickety old bus all the way. They were exhausted. Oh, they'd, wrecked. They'd never seen traffic like the M4 before. Yeah, yeah. So, I love that. Did you read that statement? I did read that statement. I love that they thought the government and Rovers were in cahoots. They are. And I've been saying it for years, the deep state and Rovers crime. <laughs> you sound <laughs> like, oh, I don't name. <laughs> yeah, don't. No, I won't. Um, but yeah, I'm ecstatic, man. I'm absolutely over the moon. And um, the... The way in which they won, like it was quite easy, com- it was quite it was comfortable, comfortable and comprehensive in the end. Which uh, at this stage, the competition is very good. And of course, we have the champs- champions route to these European competitions. So you have you have an opportunity the Champions League, you have an opportunity mm. Europa League, and you have an opportunity. Well, only if you win one tie in the Champions League, which we did um, against Hibernians of Malta. So yeah, I'm absolutely ecstatic. I'm Love so it. happy. Will you try? Will you try get to an away game in the, in the group stages? I will, yeah. And and look, the other games wasn't like try it, you know, and it just wasn't. Well, yeah, yeah. Just the financial situation. I just wasn't ready to commit to. This. I, I just had a feeling that this group of players were going to get to a group stages. So at the back of my mind was always keep your money for the group stages. Yeah. So hopefully you get to one or two. Um, I'd love to if it was the Conference League. I'd love to draw uh, West Ham and get it get over to England and uh, watch Rovers and West Ham or in even the London Stadium. Yeah, and even if it's the Europa League, you could get you know Man United or Real Betis or something like that. Mm. So yeah, like like the Europa League gives you a few more glamour toys. Yeah. The Conference League gives you less glamour toys, but kind of more winnable matches. I you think. see, like it's weird the way you're saying less glamour toys, but when you look at some of the teams, yeah, yeah, in it, like I mean, there's there's marquee names there. There is now Feyenoord and Roma were the finalists the last mm. year, but I think they dropped. I think they dropped into it after Europa League failure. That's, yeah, you see, I'm I'm not I like I watched that final last. I year. think well, I could be wrong great. on that though. Wasn't a great final. It was grand, like do you know what I mean. But, I, oh, but the two teams were up for it, though. Yeah, but I'd now understanding of where the Europa League ends and the Europa Conference League begins. Yeah, no understand. I still don't. Now I could read start at the it. same time on the same night. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's a bit like the Nations League thing in the international football. I don't. I'm not emotionally invested enough to actually want to look it up and care. Yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. Um, but equally, look, it's. I am a fair weather uh, League of Ireland fan, so I, you know, don't piss vinegar when one club does well and the other one doesn't do too well. I just kind of say, look, fair play, it's good for Irish football. And as you said, there's a lot of great players in that Rovers team. Um, so it's nice for them to get to another group stage. There's, I can't remember which, which one it was, but one of me playing, well, he, he he was there for four of them, but he's only played in three. So that's the one. Um, but yeah, look, it's good. I was putting no, a bit Gannon more. Is the most decorated League of Ireland player in history. There you go. Look at that. Yeah. And yeah. he's still only like, I think he's, I think he's only twenty-one. Like he could still, and he's he was a kind of right wing back, mm. or sorry, right back. We have him playing right wing, but in in a lot of the games this season, we actually have him playing um, centre back in the back three. Yeah. Um, f- former guest friend of the show, Conan Bourne, put up. Sean Gannon CV there on Twitter. He's got eight Premier Division titles, three FAI Cups, three League Cups, two President Cups, two Lancer Senior Cups, one United Union Cup, and he's had four group stages in Europe, including 2011. He's 31, the most decorated player in League of Ireland history. Oh, Graham. Sean Gannon. Oh, Graham. 
what? and Sean Gannon, if that's your real name. Yeah. Have you got a Ballybrack Mini World Cup medal? I do. But does Sean Gannon? No, he doesn't. There you go. And that's the true pinnacle of success in Irish football. Absolutely. How are you? Doing good, man. Doing good, yeah. Uh, I am sweating in the heat. I'm sweating, man. Man, like, I, I'm, I'm recording the box room. Uh, that's where I've moved my little studio to now uh, in the process of redecorating. And honest, Jesus, the heat in here. It's like a mini furnace. And I, yeah. like, oh. So It's sticky, to- isn't it? Sticky, it, it is sticky weather. And, and you know what sticky. that I've never experienced? Now, we've Suggsy over two years. Mm. And this past Sunday was the first time, like at, like a walk him at, say, 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, take him over to Kabaga, play fetch with him. I was actually sweating at 8 yeah. o'clock in the morning in Dublin. Yeah, it's not right, is it? I've never experienced that before. It's not right, man. I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, oh, it's great to have a summer. 20, 22 degrees. No, 20, if I wanted it, somewhere, I'd go to fucking Tenerife. I mean, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. I I just want it to be shorts and t-shirt weather. And in the evening, if I have to throw on an old cardigan or something, I will. Yeah. But don't like, be don't be making it so that I get into my bed and I'm sticky. Exactly. And then leaving the bed open all night for for spiders and insects to get in. Oh, stop, man. Stop. Anyway, Dan. Um you... a pair of misery fuckers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am enjoying it though. <laughs> listen, listen, the good weather puts in great form. Do you know what I mean? I was out earlier on, I, had, I was in the car, Spotify was throwing out a few buttes at me. Yeah. Loving it. Share oh. torn back time. I put this into a WhatsApp group in with two people who won't be named because, to be honest with you now, I've an issue with them and we'll be addressing that in the coming weeks. We'll say no more, right? Uh, especially one of them who is fraternizing with the two Jonathans. I'm saying nothing else. I'm saying right. nothing else. Right, right. I put that in there and not one person replied. Did I not? No, none of you did. And it, it upset. I was like, here's me sharing my good you, mood you, and my mood music. Gary and Paul could be going back in conversation. You I said I wasn't noting who they were. You, you, reply, you reply three days later. Busy Sometimes. Man. I'm a busy man. That's fair enough. Um, I'm also buzzing, actually, Danny. I went to see Madness on Saturday in The Point. Oh, brilliant. How was it? It was absolutely sen fucking sensational. From start to finish, it was just... Amazing, so yeah. I'm losing because of that as well. Um, I'd say half of Ballybrack, uh, and the, the, the mod heads were at that, were they? There was, was a good heads contingency, even, there was good contingency from Ballybrack there. That, that would be yeah. fair to say. A lot of them were my family, yeah, yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> did, um, I, did, our, did our friend Keith come? He did with his Brilliant. son and nephew. Oh, excellent! It was a family, okay. I love that. Yeah. I love, I love when I'm at a concert and I can clearly see. A generational thing happening. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, but like there, there was like I saw kids at it with headphones, like ear, you know, ear blockers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I haven't Brilliant. seen that since you go and see Christy Moore, and there's an eight year old in the audience and a fucking ninety year old. I can tell you one thing, Graham. I remember being a child at a Neil Diamond concert, and there were no ear blockers for me. I was taking in the power of that man's voice a full blast. Is he playing soon? He's retired from touring. No way. Yeah, yeah. Did you go see him the last time he played? I didn't go see him the last time he played. And in a way, I'm kind of happy. You sick, are you? Me, no, me, me man dad went to it and they kind of said... Did Michael Murray was, go? I'd imagine he did. I'd imagine he did. If if not that one, he's, he's definitely been to a few of them. But the, the very, very last one, Neil Diamond was here, I didn't go. And uh, I, at the time, I was like, will I just get a ticket and go? Will I just... And I didn't for whatever reason. But my man dad did go to it and they said that it was kind of sad like he, I think I can't remember if it's a Parkinson's or one of them oh, that he no has way. but he just you know it was you could tell it was kind of like he wanted to be as good as he once was but he just he couldn't be he couldn't be and you know but uh, I'm glad to hear Madness is good I love the fact that Keith was there with uh, son and nephew as I said I love seeing when at a concert that thing of like you know a father and son or a mother and daughter or whatever it is but like it's clear that the, the kid is there because they've grown up listening to the music of their parents yeah. and it's something that they share. It's a yeah. beautiful thing. Well, I was only there because I was brought up on Madness as well. Well, there you go. That's it. That's it. You know what I mean? That's a lovely thing. Shout out to Keith because uh, he always listens and he always texts. He's an absolute gentleman. And, Shout uh, out yeah. to Mark Merrow as well who, who got me into Madness. Indeed, yeah. Good man, Mark. And, and named Keith me Carl and the dog after members of Madness. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't I didn't realise that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Suggsy's the obvious one. 
I suppose he couldn't he couldn't convince Jens that the name is Forceborn Suggs. Yeah, well, Suggs' <laughs> real name is Brian Sean. Ah, that's my name. Yeah, and Carl is another yeah. member of Madness. Jesus, yeah, I tell you what, it's going to be an awkward conversation for Cubes when she's naming Ertel Springsteen. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> or, or Triple H. <laughs> what do you mean, mean Triple H? Yeah, exactly. What do you thought? Why, why would you call a toilet Montreal screw job? Shut up and get on with it. Right? That's. <laughs> okay, Danny, joining us this week, we have journalist from the BBC, Ellis Palmer. Hold on, mate. I've just managed to press my screen on my phone and the recording progress thing came up and then couldn't get it off quick enough. And when my phone got unbalanced, then uh, typical cerebral palsy nightmare. How are you, lads? <laughs> that is the voice of Ellis Palmer. <laughs> How are you, Ellis? Thanks for joining us. I'm very good. Very good. Cock brain. Usual Zoom chaos. Slash just got in for a cycle in the glorious sunny Rural Peninsula. A uh, bit shattered after watching Tramia beat Accrington Stanley. 12-11 on penalties last night. But other than that, I'm very good. How are you? Well, excellent. Thanks. Um, like, likewise, I watched my team, Shamrock Rovers, progress to the group stages of Europe last night. So both of us happy with our teams. Fantastic, fantastic. Are you looking for is it is it the Europa League or the Europa Conference? Well, we're guaranteed the group stages of the Europa Conference League, but we still have a playoff in the Europa League. So it could be uh, the Europa League, depending on how the tie goes in the next two weeks. Big deal, big deal for Shamrock Rovers, eh? Huge deal. Speaking of Shamrock Rovers, you, you did a well, not speaking of, but you did a a hand cycling journey in Ireland back in April and it led you to Tala. Did you did you get to Tala Stadium? I did it in March, actually. No, it did me to Tara. I saw Tara Stadium, but I didn't actually go in. It's on my list. Don't worry. Love it's on my list. So you're an adopted Shamrock Rovers fan the next time you come over? Ah, uh, I have to be adopted. Indeed, indeed. Either Shamrock or Bowes. I can't decide which one. Ah. Go Bowes. Go Bowes. Merlo does this every single guest we have on, where he tries to convince them to go with Shamrock Rovers. But... Every real anyone who knows football knows Bose is the way to go. Not only am I a disability activist, I'm a Shamrock Rovers activist. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll, I'll not ex- excuse that. That's all right. Can, I, all declare, right. can I declare myself neutral in the back hall of uh, for now? Clubs? For, for, now, for, for now, now. But, but next time, you, next time you're over here, you will have to choose Ellis. You will have to choose. You, you're, you're, by the time you're, you're planning your next, your next hand cycling trip uh, in the Emerald Isle, you will have a green and white huge jersey. If I happen to do it, <laughs> <laughs> it makes it makes a good rag to clean the bike. It makes a good rag to clean the bike. You know. Well, actually, quite a few. I don't know if you remember back in the nineties, Tramia had a agreement with a local club in in Dublin to basically. Mm. Oh, fair, was it? One, one, uh, no, I don't think it was. But whoever it was, anyway, I'll find out and add it in a minute. But um, Joe Murphy, one of the guys who came through there when he was fifteen, came over here when he was fifteen. He's still playing for Tramia. He's 40, 42 now, I think. Oh, Joe Murphy. Wow. He's, he's the goalkeeper, yeah, yeah. is he? He's the goalkeeper. Now, a goalkeeper slash goalkeeping coach. Jeez, I didn't know he was still playing. Oh, my God. I, I remember in Ireland, there was, and and my football team, uh, Ballybrack Boys, we went over to England for, it was just a thing you do. You went over, you play a couple of games against a couple of the other English teams. You go to see some of the, the big teams play or whatever. But John Aldridge, I think, was the Tranmere manager at the time. So it was like there was a weird obsession in Ireland because it was like John Aldridge. Everybody wants to see John Aldridge do well. So we went to a Tranmere game. That's my oh. only memory. Of Did it. you really? You went to Prince and Park. Oh, very yeah. good. And we yeah. went to yeah, very we went good. went to a Tranmere game. We went to Villa. We went to see Aston Villa play somebody. I can't even remember who they played, but yeah, it was great. I think it was like eleven or twelve. It's not it's not changed much. I must tell you, it hasn't <laughs> changed much. Uh, I'm trying to find out where, because I think Alan Mann came through the same deal as well. I'm trying to find out where it was exactly. But yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting. I don't think it's Europe League football because it gives you that insight to the to a community that maybe you wouldn't mm. otherwise kind of necessarily have, if you like. And that is, is what's always fascinating. I, I have a season to give a tram and a season to give a Man City. I'm a touring conference this weekend. A very difficult decision to make over which one I go and watch. But that's by the by. 
Oh, Stella Maris was what Stella it was. Maris. Oh, Stella Maris, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a name I haven't so, heard in a long time. Yeah, but just being able to clip on my hand cycle, you know, and cycle down the hill to, you know, go going with your local football team, it makes a massive difference, really. You know, none of the chaos of big stadiums or having to get the car and get stuck in the car for hours on end, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. How long are you using the hand hand bike? You know what. It's quite funny, actually. The hand cycle, there's a story to this, and it involves County Wicklow. Well, oh. more specifically, the cliff walk between Greystones and Bray. Ah, uh, yeah. Because I was on it with a mate of mine, Irish uh, sports journalist, Colleen Duffy. And we were going on the cliff walk, and we were talking about one thing another and the greenways and all that. And he was like, oh, you should try out the greenway. Uh, in Waterford. I was like, I'm not being funny, Corey, but my battery doesn't even last 10 kilometres on my lucky chair. How am I supposed to do a greenway that's 40 kilometres long? He said, oh, yeah. Have you thought about hand cycling? I said, no. What's that? He was like, yeah, there's a couple of guys you know, over here. I think Patrick Monaghan's one of them. And yeah. uh, uh, Mark, Mark, oh, God, Rowan. His name? Mark Rowan, that's him, yeah. Um, yeah. But they're obviously big hand cyclists and everything. Like that. Uncle, you nobody knew them. And he was like, Have you thought about that? I was like, No, I haven't. But I went, I came home, Googled it. And if I'm honest with you, guys, it was just all power pre. All I saw when I Googled it was super fit power pre who'd been in the army or car accident or whatever. And I thought, Crap, this isn't something for me with my dodgy balance and hand eye coordination and just general cerebral palsy. This. I was like, If I do it, I'm going to tip over. But I put it, put it in my mind, had it in my mind and thought, oh, I'll, I'll see, how, see how it is, you know. I mean, I found out that one of the, that was in September, and then in November, I discovered that the guys who make my wheelchairs, who made my wheelchairs for the last 15, 15 years, at that point, of injury mobility over in Liverpool, also make hand cycles. So I made the most of it the next time I went over to get something fixed on the chair, and that was that. Um... Went over in January, got something fixed on the chair, and um, tried out the hand cycle. Somehow didn't fall off, much to my my dad's surprise. And the rest of the day is history. It arrived in March. On the way out, my dad did say to me, Ellis, what have you just spent all that money on something you're never going to use? So that, for me, was the gauntlet thrown down that I had to use it. It arrived in March. Almost perfect timing to make because it got down and the roads were dead quiet and everything like that. So I'd, I'd never learned to drive, by the way. So for me, being out on the road on my hand cycle was a completely new experience and a bit bonkers. And I, I look back and I'm like, you really did that? But my dad was great at training me up. He was a real inspiration. He was a soccer commentator, Rob Palmer. But um, he was a real inspiration you know, going out on the road and training me up and building up my confidence and all that. And the rest, as they say, is history. Um, and yeah, that was that. And so there's a huge done... element of freedom there, then, Ellis, was there? Oh, totally, totally. That freedom, that liberation, you know, everything like that. Just, you know, being able to do what, where, being able to go where I want to go, how I want to go, and not having to rely on anybody to do that. Because oftentimes it'd be, you know, previously it'd be using the bus or the train or, you know, using public transport and buses are great, but don't get me wrong, anybody who's been on a Dublin bus in Dublin or, you know, a bus anywhere really knows that, you know, a lot of the buses have only got one wheelchair space on and if there's somebody in that space, you're waiting 20, 10, 20 minutes with the next bus and it delays you and all that. So for me, just being able to cut off my hand cycle, hand cycle and go, you know, just makes a massive difference. A massive, massive difference. And, you know, um, but that that for me, you know, yeah, there's, there's moments when I'm like, I can't quite, I think I've done 78, shy of 18,000 kilometres in a little over two years. Wow. Yeah, mostly, no, mostly around home, some in Ireland, of course. And yeah, it's, you know, it's the little, bit, little things that, that make a big difference. And yeah, it's, um, it's certainly got me out and about, that's for sure. Well, I, 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 at the time, I, I, I believe you wrote a piece for the Irish Times in regards to your your hand cycling tour of of Ireland, and uh, it led you to some obstacles in terms of freeways and kissing gates and stuff like that. 
Um, how, how does the accessibility um, compare between, say, where you're living and, and Ireland? I think it's always difficult to make any comparison, really, because I think, you know, different levels and diff- different ways, different units. You know, um, like the weird thing was when I was in Belfast, I took the Belfast, the Belgian towpath out from Belfast City Centre out to Lisbon and back. And I was absolutely astounded that there was no barriers on that tow party. I don't remember, no barriers, no kissing gates, no uh, chicanes, nothing on that, on that. Uh, towpath and I was just able to get from Belfast to Lisbon and back without any barriers and that you know was incredible and then uh, next day two days after I went to I went got the train to Porter Down and went from Porter Down to Neoy uh, with a cousin of mine um, and again there was this one really awkward kissing gate in this random bit of the country in this random bit of kind of mid-down if you like we want a better terminology but you know it was really difficult to get through, but I got through it because I had Kieran with me, and that was that. But it's the little things. If you're not, if you're out on your own and you're not able to navigate these kissing gates, it really do, or barriers or whatever, it really does stymie your journey. And again, but you know, I, I confession, I prefer road cycling to kind of track cycling and greenway cycling because it just tends to be a little bit easier mm. um, in terms of you know that the surface is going to be consistent. Uh, and you know the gradient's going to be consistent. Most of the crashes, injuries I've caused myself have come on off-road routes where the where the you know the the, um, the camber hasn't been right on the wheel going up, and the camber's been uneven, or the surface has been uneven. That's actually caused me more danger, believe it or not, from being on the road. And there's a you know I went, when I went out to Tower, actually, I was really quite impressed on the regional road. Yes, it was a painted cycle lane, but actually. For me, as a disabled person, that painted on a non-standard cycle, it's slightly wider than a standard cycle. That was a lot easier uh, than, say, some of the cycle lanes in Dublin, which were incredibly narrow. Um, mm. You know, when cycling in Dublin City Centre, some of them were just so so narrow that I, you know, my wheel was hitting the my wheel was hitting the barrier. If that makes sense, and it just it made it a real nightmare. So, you know, bits. Bits and bobs, and it, it depends. I'd say there's probably a more developed system of cycle routes over here. Um, but I would say in Ireland, the, the kind of accessibility uh, of the routes would tend to be better, both, both you know, in the north and in the Republic as well. Um, the accessibility would tend to be better, the ease of using the route would tend to be better as well. Ellis, what what led you to do the, the little tour of Ireland on the handbike there back in March? Ah, well, as I said, the whole um, remit of it came from, you know, doing the, well, first of all, I didn't have confession. Yeah, confession. I'd never been to Belfast. I'd flown into Belfast International, but my mum's family from South Carolina. So if we were going to South Carolina, we'd fly into Belfast International and drive down to and Yuri or South Palmyra sort of thing. So I'd never actually been to Belfast. So for me, it was, I could get the ferry from my hometown, from Birkenhead, you know, 15 minutes down the road over to Belfast and be in, you know, Belfast for six o'clock the next morning and be in Belfast City Centre for, for half seven the next morning. That that was what, you know, made the difference. And then I had two days in Belfast, having never been to Belfast. And that was, that was eye-opening for sure. The great city there's a real vitality about it and then the, the i mean i obviously wanted to go see my family in, in south armagh in my uh drum and tea jersey and my armagh jersey respectively mm-hmm. um and that's what i did i i uh, met my cousin pulled it down and then cycled down pulled it down to the area and cycled a bit on the rural roads in south armagh which was fun not gonna lie to you <laughs> and then um again I, I wanted to go to dublin i wanted to try dublin just because trying it in a wheelchair actually confession i find dublin a lot more accessible as a um punter as a pedestrian than say many uh uk cities of a similar size i find it quite accessible in terms of um pavement cuts and drop down curbs and everything like that it's a lot easier to get around it's a lot easier to walk around and say Manchester or London or well, um, that's interesting. Or, so, so yeah, 
so that for me was was I wanted to see how it measured up in hindsight, basically. And I wasn't apart from some kissing gates uh, in Tara around the I'm just getting the name of the estate up here. Old Barnes. Uh, yeah, it was the Old Barnes estate. Yeah, I got stuck in a kissing gate in the Old Barnes estate, which was. Uh, yeah, it was it was bonkers because the, the kissing gate was higher than the wall next to it. So any lad who came on a scramble or whatever, or last even, could just throw the uh, scramble back over the wall and get over it, no problem. But it stopped it stopped legitimate users like myself from being able yeah, to use yeah. it. That's interesting that you found uh, Dublin like more accessible, say Manchester, London, or whatever. Because like obviously living here, um, like. I don't want to bash it at times, but like, wow, America, I, I, suppose, wow. I suppose the review card, the the, the end, the, the skill report for me is always that it can do much better, you know. Well, everywhere can always be be much better, but I I'll never forget. I moved back. Well, I lived in Barcelona for two years. I studied over there. Unbelievable. Um, my masters over. That was great. Right? I was time that I studied politics and Spanish. That was great fun, but um. When I was in Barcelona, I found the metro system to be so, so accessible. I'd speak Catalan as well, so that made it a bit easier. But metro systems, 95% of their stations are accessible. It's roll on, roll off. There's no ramp needed. All the buses are accessible. You know, there's a tram system as well. So I came out my flat. I think I had four different public transport options within 400 metres. Oh and then I went to London. The dream. I went back to London for the weekend to do some course at The Guardian, I think it was. And I just remember turning to my dad and saying, Jesus, you'd think London would be a lot more accessible than this, but it, but it, it wasn't at all. And I think, to answer your question more directly, I think we're always on a downer about where we live because it's what we see every day, because we think it could be better. Um, and in many cases, it can be. But because we're living in that space, we don't necessarily see its merits comparatively yeah. to the kind of other places, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Dublin, I mean, there's a couple of things I like about Dublin. You know, the dark system is very good for going out to Dunleary or whatever. Um, but um, to be fair, the lads, the lads on the dark in terms of the access assistance, they, of station staff always tend to be top notch at getting you on and getting you off. I've never had a problem there. There's usually a 10 minute wait, but that is what it is over, over here. If you want to get a train like that, it's a 15, 20 minute wait and you've got a pre-book. So, you know, that, that's, that's the way it is. But um, I also the Dublin buses tend to be very accessible. The drivers are top notch. And I always say thank you to the Dublin bus drivers, of course. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that is that is, is what it is. And, that's interesting um, about the comparison with Barcelona because obviously Barcelona had the legacy of uh, the Paralympic Games in 92 where they, like, I've been to Barcelona and I'm, I'm fairly envious of you that you've lived there for two years because when I was there for three, it, it's the only place that I've been where after three or four days, I was kind of like, geez, I could live here. And that was just because of the accessibility. Um, and then when you read into it, it is like, it's part of the legacy mm-hmm. from the Paralympics 92, which is a great legacy to have, but it's disappointing to hear that after such a I, I tell, I tell you 20, I tell 2012 you, Paralympics. I, I, I tell you something really funny about Barcelona, which is Barcelona, there's one one station on my regular route that's not, but wouldn't have been accessible on the metro. Where was it? Ciutadella. Where the Olympic Park, where the Olympic Park and the Olympic Village used to be. So the whole of the city was really accessible, had a really great metro system, was really well invested in, apart from the one bit where the Olympic was actually. Well, jeez, that just that actually just ruins my point. <laughs> but so yeah, I'm, my wider point I was think, though about London and about London and England generally, like since the Paralympics, it's disappointing to hear that maybe there hasn't been that much of a legacy impact from Paralympic Games, that the impact, the legs, the impact that they desire to have. I think sometimes we focus on big events quite a bit. And um, there's, there's a wonderful thing about focusing on big events, but actually sometimes, you know, it's about the small things, the everyday, the nitty gritty. And yes, it has got better since the Paralympics. If you imagine in, in London, 
20, maybe 20, 25% of the metro system now in London's accessible. Yeah. Pre, that's 80, by the way, that's about 75, 80% is not accessible. So if you imagine trying to live in London with a metro system of that level of accessibility, if you're trying to get to see a friend in, I don't know, uh, Gold is Green or whatever, or somewhere like that in North London, good, good luck to you. If your access just isn't there, there's no way of doing it. So if you're trying to get from East London to South London or East London to North London, it's a nightmare. Whereas at least in Dublin, there is quite good connectivity with the Dublin buses. Um, but I think pre-Olympics, it was a lot less accessible in London. I think maybe 10% accessibility. So there has been investment. Things have moved forward. There's still a way to go. Jesus. And, you know, with... Um... With activism, Ellis, like I always, I've always said, I'm 37, but I've always said that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dis- disabled activist almost by default, be, you know, because I have no choice to be an activist. Because when you're, when you're complaining, you default to become an activist. <laughs> when you're trying to highlight things, especially if you take it to social media, how, how do you, um, how do you feel about that in your, in your own life? Like, do you believe, like, do, you, do you, do you? What am I trying to articulate? Do you? Uh... How, how do I how do I balance that out with the day job of working at BBC? I guess to an extent. Yeah. So that is that is always a difficult one. But you've just got to go. Mm, well, these are the you know this is my reality. If you like, this is what's going on around me. This yeah. is what I'm seeing in the world around me. And ultimately, you've got a responsibility to kind of highlight that. If that makes sense, as a disabled mm. person, kind of call people's attention to it. Uh, regardless of people like it or not. And that is always always in the public interest because it's something that non-disabled people, they walk around, many of them, and they don't see disabled people. They don't see disability. They don't engage with it. And they don't do anything about it unless it's called their attention. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting though, isn't it? Like, I mean, as I said, well, with me, it's almost like default. And then you're just, you get angry at a certain negative uh, life experience and sometimes it takes a while to shake that and then sometimes you can shake it within an hour or so and you just forget about it because when when you come across negative situations say like in the hospitality industry and you want to highlight it like I'm always kind of I don't sometimes I don't want to highlight it say if something happened in a hotel or a nightclub or a pub I mean if I highlight it if I take it to social media so to speak I, I don't want to see anyone lose their job over me complaining, but I also do want to highlight the situation to see if change can happen. Like, you know, so I don't even know what I'm trying to ask here, but I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to like, it's, 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 it's a mix. It's a mix. It's incumbent. It's incumbent upon each and every one of us to talk about our experiences in the world, Mm. you know, regardless of how it happens, if something impacts disabled people, then, it's incumbent upon us to kind of let the world know that because otherwise, you know, like with people of colour, like with women, like with LGBT people, you know, it's important that, you know, sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia, you know, ableism, it's important that all these things are highlighted so that people are aware of them because otherwise the vast bulk of the population goes around thinking, oh, aren't we fine? Aren't we happy dandy? sort of thing and nobody thinks about what the alternatives could be or how things could be better for people who are minoritized in society yeah it's Absolutely. Great answer. It is. Great answer. this is why alice works for the bbc and we don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, how how is life at, at the babe alice is it um like i'm um, uh, the BBC obviously world famous and everything else but co- coming into it as somebody with a disability how did you find it and did you find that you had to kind of push doors open or were they already open for you? To an extent uh, it was interesting actually because I was living and working in Barcelona prior to working living and studying in Barcelona prior to working at BBC and to give it a work as well on the side as well but I kind of applied BBC not to be honest with you thinking I get it thinking it wasn't really something that's going to work applied and 
somehow ended up getting getting a job there and you know they brought me in on a scheme called Extend, Extending Digital News as it was back then, or Extending News was the year later, specifically focused around recruiting disabled journalists with it to the organization to make it make it mm-hmm. more attractive and inclusive to work. And that's that's really important. Um for disabled people to be agency change in organizations, really. Um, and there are moments, you know, that get you up, there are moments that get you down. But, mm. you know, it's important that, you know, the work we do every day, it's about information at the time. And it's about, it's important that people get that information about their society, regardless. And having a disabled voice in the room means that my job, if a disability story comes up, I'm able to talk about it. But if, you know, that story doesn't come up. My day-to-day job is about as far from disability. Yeah, my day-to-day job is international news. You know, if a disability story comes up, great, wonderful. But I'm there first and foremost as a, you know, international news journalist who just so happens to be disabled. Mm. And is it, like it's, I, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that the BBC had a program like that because it's something that even in my own job, like we're always talking about, kind of, you know, diversity at the table is better. Having more voices and different lived experiences is far better than everybody marching in the same direction all the time because there's nothing there to challenge opinion. There's nothing there to to say, have you thought about it from this perspective? So it's, it's brilliant to hear something like the BBC doing something like that. But then you mentioned there kind of your role around international news and everything else. What kind of things then do you think, like do you bring that, that's different to the, the table to compare to say somebody who's just, being out there they've done their media thing for years and years and years your loved experience obviously day, have shape it like for the day job the weird thing is my Catalan and Spanish and we're useful in fact I'm disabled if that makes sense the fact that public language is the fact you know I mean I studied international politics you know I've been you know reading and engaging on international news topics since I was 15 16 17 you know having that depth of knowledge there and knowing with my job a lot of the time it's about not assuming people's knowledge, but having the knowledge yourself, if that makes sense. So that's really important. Um, and it's really important never to assume people's knowledge, but always to, uh, we've got visitor in there. We do, that's yeah, that's, that, that, that's the wife in me and Nosey. Hello. Hello, Danny's wife. How are you? <laughs> she just said, I'm really sorry. I didn't know I'm gone now. <laughs> but no, look, it's, it's to an extent that we've experienced helps to an extent you know it's it's just something that's there you know mm. if something about disability does come along I, i'm told by able to talk about it and everything like that it can help yeah. in terms of addressing you know disability stuff and addressing inequalities through reportings and all that kind of thing but just being a seat at the table really you know yeah. that that's kind of really really important and having that opportunity to be there a stakeholder yeah. Absolutely. Owning the space at the table is important for everyone. Um, On international politics, I'll take a completely different direction, and just because you mentioned international politics there. And we've talked to different journalists over the last couple of years around the whole fake news phenomenon and kind of, you know, the rise of basically conspiracy theorists who denounce places like the BBC as fake news and, you know, all this kind of thing. When you're looking at the international picture now and the kind of makeup of what's going on in the world, is there anything that leaves you just completely scratching your head saying, this is this is exactly what's driving the lunatics? No, no, really, because you've just got to go, I've just got to look up my knees every morning and go, right, this is what's going on. How do we make sense of it for people in a way mm. that they can, they can understand, in a way that it gets... The message across to them about what's going on and sure it's about who you give the microphone and how you give the microphone that's really important and that's something that is obviously incredibly important to do around making sure that minoritized voices in society are represented be they women or non-binary people you know people of color uh, disabled people think about who gets the microphone and how they get the microphone but and obviously regional diversity as well, ensuring it's not all people from one part of the country, say in Ireland or Leinster, or in uh, in the UK, London and the South East, ensuring that the broader, you know, cross-section of people get microphone is kind of really important. And, you know, that, uh, 
you know, I do a lot of work on climate change, actually. Mm. I job for news hour on the World Service. And that's something that always interests me um, because the fact that, you know, we have this thing going on and most people assume it's something that's still happening in the future or it's still about to happen. But yeah. actually, more and more and more in the day job, when I talk to scientists or when I don't even have to talk to scientists just see the real world effects and you know look outside your back window and see the soaring temperatures or the floods or you know whatever it may be seeing that is uh you know is really powerful really and people think it's something that's going to happen in the future but it's not it's happening now and how do you convey the urgency of a message like that to you know, an, an audience that thinks it's going to be something that's happening in 10, 15, 20, 50 years but, time. But it's, the, the, the climate change thing is interesting just in terms of that piece around it's happening now, but a lot of the conversations are, you know, goals by 2040, goals by 2050. And as you were saying, like we're seeing like heat, heat waves at the moment. Look out the window. You know, lowest levels of Arctic ice, uh, summer records, all that kind of stuff. So it's just interesting that, you, you, you know, it's 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 completely agree with the point you've made. But just all the conversations seem to be, you know, all these goals in 30 years time and 20 years time. And it seems like now it's kind of really a priority. I mean, to bring it together, it's in many ways, it's, it's similar to disability as well, really. In mm. the, you know... Oh, politicians always go, we'll do that in six months or we'll do that in a year, we'll make that more accessible. But it doesn't make it any easier for me or Graham if we're trying to pop to our shops and there's a massive curb in the way. Or, you know, if we can't get into our local bakery or we can't yeah. get into, you know, the, the supermax or we can't order at the supermax or whatever it might be, or we can't eat or drink at our local coffee shop because the table's too low. You know, these are all things that, people think oh we'll do that in time sort of thing but actually they don't see necessarily how it impacts people on the day to the day how long did it take you to learn spanish good question um well my parents got praised themselves in spain in 2003 2003 yeah i want to say so i spent a lot of time over there growing up ironically this is a story for you when i was growing up we had this kind of tv in, in the in spain Go over around the summer. And the only English language channel we could get that had teletext, or indeed the only English channel English language channel we could get was RTE. <laughs> so I used to watch on, you know, Saturday night or Sunday night or whatever it is, you know, or weekdays, you know, prime time, RTE news, sometimes the Irish language version of RTE news as well, just for a bit of fun. And also, um, you know, we also I could read the teletext because we didn't have the internet back then in the apartment. So if I wanted to find out what the latest Man City score was or who Liverpool's new signing was or whatever, the only way I could do that was through RC News and Teletext. So, so yeah, that was that. But in terms of learning Spanish, probably from being about the age of nine, you know, little bits of time goes on and everything like that. I mean, when I was doing my, what would be my junior set, if I was Irish, my GCSEs over here, um, that's when, that's when it really picked up and, you know, I had some great neighbours who kind of taught me a lot of lingo and kind of inspired me to learn my language. I got more, so I could communicate with them and they were great and maybe we'd go call food and we'd just sit up there for hours now and then and debating politics or bullfighting or you know whatever it might be whatever the tourism whatever the issue of the day was we'd talk about it through with them and that was really important I mean I did that alongside studying it at school of course but having that real world interaction that real world experience with Spanish and Catalan as well when I moved to Barcelona was kind of really important and actually I always joke my Catalan sometimes is better than my English um but when when I when I lived over there, when I lived in Barcelona, what was interesting with the Catalan was I went over having only studied for two years at college, um, and not very much in the real world situation. And then suddenly I was thrown into a situation where seventy five percent of my lectures were in my third language. So if I wanted to understand what was being said in front of me, I had to improve my Catalan. And having that kind of immersion, that straight. I think I went over for a month in the June, July beforehand just to get used to the city of Barcelona and learn a bit of the language and I 
or thing like that. And, you know, that was the most incredible experience of getting to know people and getting that appreciation for the language. I mean, going over there and, you know, doing part of my undergrad over there in, in you know, Catalan and Spanish, but mostly Catalan was just, you know, that's a game changer when you're, when you're just thrown into something, basically. And is there much difference between Catalan and the Spanish language? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Really? Definitely. Not quite English, not quite English and Irish, uh, but they, they have the same root language, which is which is vulgar, 12th century vulgar Latin, if you wanted. Uh, but much like, you know, it has the same root language as French, the same root language as Portuguese, the same root language as Italian, the same root language as Spanish, Catalanders, right? But actually the language itself, it is, it is entirely, you know, it's entirely different, entirely distinct. Spanish and a lot of people make the assumption oh it's similar to Spanish it's just direct to Spanish or whatever it's not it's its own language in itself in its own right and there's a beauty to it because in written form it reads a lot more it reads a lot more like French but in mm. spoken form it sounds a lot more like Italian if that makes sense so that, that's the real beauty of it basically the real beauty of it it's, I'm very I've, envious. I've no, I've no knowledge of anything really on it, other than uh, a friend of mine, Ernest, who is from Barcelona, uh, taught me about the Christmas tradition of the Christmas log in Catalan, and that's the only yeah. bit of knowledge I have about it. Ah, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, Bueno, it's a good guy. But then if I speak in English, I speak like this. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> the accent. <laughs> exactly. But no, the, the, the uh, you know, the, the, you know, the little things when you're learning mm. language that are, that are really important. And, you know, the thing I would say to any, anybody who's got kids or anybody who's a kid who to this podcast, if you're at college, if you're doing your, your leaving cert or whatever, please keep up a language if you have it, because that's really important. You know, even if it is the Irish language, you know, that's really important. And the languages really can open doors to people and open doors for people. And, you know, they have that ability to help people transcend the audience they're speaking to, if that makes sense. But, yeah, it's great. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. But, uh, true confession, I've got cerebral palsy. I'm also partially deaf. So whenever I went into my audiologist, when I was, like, 16, 17, 18, 19, They'd always look at me and say, Eris, we can't believe somebody with your level of hearing loss speaks a foreign, speaks a foreign language, yet alone obviously a nice bit too. But that was always really interesting. But I think sometimes, you know, you have things like the dyslexia restrictions, say, on people learning the Irish language. Oh, it's easy to cop out so people don't have to learn the Irish language in school or take it up to reading cert. But actually, you know, sometimes it's soft bigotry of low expectations around disability. It really has to be removed to allow people to flourish. But, you know, people with, you know, dis disabled people can, you know, learn a foreign language or whatever if they are allowed the time, the space and the resources in which to do it. Absolutely. Excellent, yeah. yeah it's a good point. Yeah. Um, Ellis, we're, we're, we're just running out of time to a little bit. So I just want to ask, you know, any more tours or any more uh, trips planned on the handbike? What's next for you? Oh, God, Definitely. Definitely. Gosh, I've got to be back. I've got to be back. Um, what's next for me is, when I go back to Dublin, I want to, the last time I did go to South Dublin, which is fine, but come on. North Dub's real hard. Mm. So I want to do a bit more, bit more North Dublin when I go to, if I can go to, um, you know, do some of that Grand Canal route from, from Dublin out to, out to Athlone. That, that'd be wonderful. That'd be the dream. Maybe do it over three or four days. And then the other one I want to do is obviously the Water for Greenway, which is the inspiration for me learning to hand cycle in the first place. So getting to do that would be a real moment, a real inspiration. And maybe some of, you know, Galway and Miguel took possibly and just trying to explore. And obviously, who can forget the real capital of Ireland? Cork. Be very oh, careful, Ellis. Be very Airless. careful. <laughs> the, the last time you were here, you, were, you, you actually met a friend of mine, Michael, and his wife. Ah, yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Need to go, need to go down and see them, definitely. Definitely. They're from Wexford. Um, 
So no, not sure how the cycling in Wexford would be. To be fair, you yeah, know, they they were a bit like, oh, it might be a bit dodgy, but obviously, Limerick as well is also on my list because I've heard good things about it and I heard it's a very cool city. So, so no, so you have strong roots, Ireland. I do indeed, and in, in, yep, in South Armagh and North County Ralph and Yuri and all that. So it's great. It's great to get over. It's great to see family, and it's great to just explore the beautiful country as well. Explore the Emerald Isle. And are Man City going to win the league and are Tranmere going to get promoted? <laughs> God, uh, you know what? I think Man City are going to win the league. Okay, so they won't go into the season, but Haaland looks a beast. Haaland looks a cracking player, doesn't he? What a physique he's got on him. What a goal-scoring technique. Just what a player since he got a bank of money. And Tranmere, um, I think we'll have a good cup. If last night's anything to go by, uh, with the penalties and all that, but in the league so far, like two games, hope, hopefully last night can be the Spurs something, but with two games played and zero points at the bottom of the league, I'm a little bit worried. But here's, here's hoping it will come right at the end of the season. There was nothing, I know League of Ireland plays Friday nights normally, but there was nothing like going down to your local football league ground on a Friday night and, you know, watching game and just you know the atmosphere and just all that it's a really great start to the weekend isn't it oh it's the it's the best it's the business ellis power thanks so much for joining us it's been a pleasure thanks for your time stronger fool great chat with ellis there lovely guy lovely guy and uh you sound like you've gone into a tin of beans there Honestly, you just I'm swimming in a tin of beans. Yeah, your voice just like was like the microphone. It's broken. It's broken because, like, as I said at the at the top of the podcast, um, Rovers won last night and my voice was gone. So, yeah, that's what it is. But what I said, back to normal now. Thank you to Ellis. Thanks for giving uh, us your your valuable valuable time. It was most enjoyable and best of luck on your next hand cycling tour of the Great Emerald Isle, Danny. Indeed, yes. Until next time, where can anyone listen to us? Anywhere at all that provides entertainment in the podcast format, you'll find What's the Story podcast. All you have to do is type in WTS pod and myself and Mara will be there waiting for you in the form of a big, warm audio hug. You can go to Spotify, you can go to Stitcher, you can go to Podbean, Podcast Addict, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, anywhere and everywhere there's a podcast, we'll be there waiting for you. Just type in WTS pod and do us a favour and leave a little review a little five star that's all we want thanks very much until next time near eyes full hearts can't lose can't lose